the optimal life. So, Dr. Laura, let's start with a recent post that you just did. Okay. You watched the Republican debate the other night. I did, as many. And we're not going to go too. political, but we're no. going to get right. We're going to get right into the meat and potatoes of your observations when it comes to speaking with influence and impact and body language, all those things. Sure. What was your thought about the debate? Who were the winners? Who were the losers? So to just reinforce to everybody out there whose hackles may have just gone up at the talk about politics at all, um, I for the last several election cycles, I do analyses of the of the debates of the candidates, but I keep politics out of it. All we're using the debates for is as a live case study that the whole world can watch in real time. And just like if you play football or you know whatever other sport, you watch the game tape. Right. You watch the video footage to see who did what well, who did what not so well, your team or their team. What can we learn from them so that we can become better players so we can be more successful in whatever our life or game or space happens to be? So we got to be able to look at somebody and say, I would not vote for that person if you put a gun to my head. But wow, they did that really well. And I want to learn how to do that, too. Or, boy, I'd love to see that person in office. But they absolutely shot themselves in the foot. Note to self, Laura, don't do that. Next time you have to have this kind of conversation. So is, is that okay as a as a little preface there? That is Nate? a beautiful really introduction. Important. That is a perfect introduction. Good. So it's that objective ability to say that was great or that was awful. What can I learn from that performance? No Correct. matter whether or not I agreed with anything that came out of their mouth, which Correct. is often the challenge. We're not talking policy. We're talking style. Correct. Correct. Yes. Um, so let's see. I, I don't know that I would say that there were any active winners or losers because that implies a whole level of of judgment. I think one of the things when you're for that particular event, they are looking to stand out from the crowd. There are those who have more or less name recognition. Some people they got on and you're going, who's that person? I never heard of them before. So the question in that moment is not just do people agree with you, but are you at all memorable? Do you stick? Do you make an impression? And what is it about and where I come in with, with my coaching and training it with my the executives that I work with is when you speak, what is it about the way that you speak that makes what you say either go in one ear and come out the other or go in and stick? What is it about what you say and how you say it that makes it register in the other person's brain or make you utterly unforgettable for regardless of the value that your message technically has. And this is where most people get stuck is that they aren't able to make an impression in the way that they speak. So the message gets lost. So who made an impression to you? Uh, again, for better or for worse, depending on what your perspective is, politically speaking, um, some of the people who made strong impressions, um, for example, um, Ramaswamy, uh, Ramaswamy, excuse me, was, again, he was very extreme in many of the assertions that he made, but he did a couple of things very powerfully. One, he was super comfortable in his own skin. There were other people who are not Typically, uh, they're a little more tentative, a little bit more at uh, one of the governors whose names uh, escapes me. He was much more hesitant 
and his voice was a little faltering, a little more halty. Ramaswamy, again, whether you agreed with any words that came out of his mouth, he was like, here's who I am. Here's what I believe in. Here's what, and he would go through his litanies of here's all the departments that should be just abolished straight out of the government. But there was no doubt in your mind that he believed a hundred percent of what he was saying. It was, it didn't sound scripted, didn't sound like he was trying to remember a checklist. It was utterly from his heart and from his brain. You might think he's nuts. And that may have made you 100% convinced that there's no way you're voting for this nutcase. But man, did it make an impression. So, and you were very clear on exactly who he was and what he stood for. That's powerful. That is powerful. And again, on the flip side of that coin, yes, people that have that unique ability to get through to you, where they stand out above the rest of the crowd, those people, that's a phenomenal skill set to have. Yep. But there's a lot of people that know how to do that that don't have any stake. They're, it's all sizzle and no stake. Sure. They, they, they talk a big game. They come across as charismatic. So if you already have that innate ability to do that, which most people don't, but if you have that special something, how then do we as an audience uh, know who's legit? Is this person really legit or do they just know how to sell me? Well, you got to do research, obviously. It's not about, um, because there are going to be con artists out there who are all substance, excuse me, all style and no substance. And there are going to be people out there who are on the flip side and have lots of great substance, but no style, so to speak. And what we really want is to find someone who's both. So first impressions are important. That debate for many of the participants was a first impression, a first chance to get in front of people who had otherwise never heard of them before. And But then from there, of course, there will be additional follow-ups. And we as voters have a responsibility to go and do some research too. Um, but the first impression needs to be an important one because I think there were a couple of people on that stage who they're not going to be back. <laughs> I just didn't have enough of an of an impression. Uh, I mean, yeah. the so think of it this way: style and substance, or content and delivery, are yes, two sides of the same coin. But if you have one, if you have only substance, but no, I hate to use the word style because it sounds superficial. But if your ability to deliver isn't up to where your content is, it's like taking a pearl and dipping it in mud. There's great stuff in there, but nobody can find it. Uh, and, and that's yes, doctor. And that's where so many people struggle. Yes. As I mentioned, that's why your company and the work that you do is so critical, because I believe that a vast majority of people, there's a lot of people out there that are are technically incredible or yes. are extremely creative or have phenomenal ideas. But when it comes to delivering the message and articulating it, they fall flat. Yes. So my first question in that regards is, why in the world are we not being taught this from a young age in our elementary schools, middle schools, high schools? You know, the funny thing is, I think schools are trying to do that more, helping kids do a lot more public speaking and classroom presentations and book reports and and show and tell and, you know, all sorts of stuff older. There are those who like it and those who don't like it. But I mean, that we'll, the, the conversation about what's wrong with the public school system today is a whole other episode, a whole other show, a whole other theme. Uh, I think I'm not I'm not even speaking of what's wrong with the public schools necessarily. I'm just saying this is something that's so critical. We grew up yes. in a in a school systems, all of us across the country, A's, B's, get your good grades, history class, all these things yeah. that, OK, it's good to uh, uh, 
tune the brain in that regard. Sure. But we never were taught about how important it is to communicate. At least I wasn't. Not explicitly, not explicitly. And it is something we certainly should make more explicit. And of course, you know, what do standardized tests actually measure and what are teachers held responsible for that is objectively measurable? And, you know, there's there's lots of competing pressures and resources and those kinds of things. Um, I think the best that we can do now is whatever influence we have as who do we have the have influence over whether it's our own kids our own employees our own you know the the church or synagogue you belong to the the you know other community events where do you have the opportunity to mentor people where do you have the opportunity to help others have a voice how do we encourage others in whatever small role we have to find their voice use their voice effectively and make sure that those voices have the opportunity to be heard uh, and and just encourage people to use them more. There are so many people out there who, even when they are given the opportunity, they have head trash going on or they just dismiss themselves. They go, I don't like the spotlight. Oh, I don't want to be standing out. I don't like people looking at me. I don't. Well, okay. But then you're choosing to say, I don't want my voice to be heard. I don't want my opinion to be heard. You'll, be, you'll complain later on when your opinion isn't taken into account, but if you're only grumbling behind the scenes to a couple of people, as opposed to putting yourself out there and saying, I want the decision makers to understand my perspective. I'm going to try to understand theirs and what their competing priorities and pressures are and resource limitations or whatever it happens to be. But if I think that I want my perspective to be taken into account, I have to be able to articulate it to the decision makers in a way that they can understand. Yes. And if you're not willing to do that, you can't be mad. It's like saying, well, I don't like who's in, to, to the earlier point, I don't like who's the elected officials are. Did you vote? Well, no, the election system is all, okay, well, if you don't vote, then yeah, you can't complain. Correct. I say the word correct. So that word starts with C. And that reminds me of your three C's. <laughs> yes. Talk to us about the three C's and why they're so important. Everything I teach everything I train and coach is based on the three C's of what I like to call vocal executive presence or the ability to, to stand out and be heard in the constructive way. But the three C's are the ability to command the room, connect with the audience and close the deal. And what that means to command the room means when you talk to people, sit up and take notice. Do they pay attention? It's not being, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me, show off. But when you speak, are you again, utterly forgettable? Or do people, does, does your presence command attention, not demand? If you have to sit there and demand attention and respect, you will never command it. Let me just stop you. Let me yes. just stop you if you don't mind. Please. So let's unpack a little bit of each one of these. So when you say command the room, mm -hmm. um, what are some things that, that people can do to take that command? So commanding the room, number one, it can be just a matter of standing there if, if you are in person or if you're... Uh, virtually speaking, do you look and sound confident when you're talking? Are you focused and intentional? Are you that, aware? Do you think that, I'm sorry, doctor. Yeah. Do you think that that's the most important thing for commanding a room? Like, hey, first and foremost, if you don't come across confident, you've already lost your audience. Is that is that a fair statement? I would say that's pretty high at the top of the list. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Because if you look like you're intimidated by me before we even start, does not sound doesn't seem to me like you're confident in what you're going to say. And if you're not confident in your own message, 
why would I give you the benefit of the doubt that I should be confident in your message? Now, should we always give people the benefit of the doubt? Should we give them a chance? Yes, but people's lower creatures internally tend to prejudge. So yes. it's harder to get people to give you the benefit of the doubt if you don't seem like you've given it to yourself. And first. perception is reality. Yes. So whatever the, your audience is perceiving is exactly what it is. Yes. And it's much harder to change that perception if you don't lead by example. You want them to give you the benefit of the doubt, to trust you. You should lead by modeling that you trust yourself. So taking presence. Presence is, is one of the maybe number one. Uh, mm -hmm. It's at the top, having a, a, a commanding presence, mm -hmm. having a confident, a confidence in your message uh, yes. uh, posture, I would imagine is part of that. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. The posture, how do you fidget? Are you shuffling all over the place? Are you touching your hair, your face, your, your playing, clicking your pen cap or playing with your, your rings, picking your manicure, whatever hands in the is. pocket, hands in the pocket kind of comes across as weak. Is that fair? Uh, I mean, it all depends, right? So if it's, if you put them in there for a moment as you're thinking about something and then take them out, sure, it's not a big deal. It's relatable. It's, it's kind of human. But if you're sitting there with your fists jammed into your pockets and your shoulders up around your ears and you stay there the entire time, that's a very different hands in the pocket, right? Gotcha. If you're trying to project a, a professional authority, are you pitching investors for your new business or doing something else and you have your thumbs hooked in your belt loop the entire time as kind of a farmer brown there's a difference in the in the who are they looking for and how casual versus uh solid are you coming across little details can make a big difference in impressions okay so that's commanding is there anything else or is that pretty much covers the, mostly of, of of command Oh, it, it, there's tons of stuff in there. I mean, it can be okay. your voice, how how strong you are. How many times do you say um in your first sentence? If you record yourself and in the first 60 seconds, you say um nine times, I mean, do the math. It's like one every X number of seconds. It's And at that point, it sounds like you don't even know what you want to say. Right. So sit down, and then the audience, figure it out and come back. Then the audience too, all they remember, they start hearing the ums and uhs. And yes. they're not hearing any of the content. They're not hearing your message. No, nope. they're waiting. They're waiting for that next little. Yeah, they're comment. taking a mental tally. Who wants that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Talk about so having a forgettable message. So there's a lot of things that go into command, but the way that you deliver your message, the way you're speaking, your posture, these are all things that are, that are all encompassing within. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Uh, so then, number two is connect with the audience, and what that means is, as we're talking, once you've gotten my attention. Do we establish a mutual feeling that you understand me and I understand you on some level? So it could be about, as I'm talking to you, do I tell a story that you can relate to? Do I use enough details that you get the picture, but not so many that I'm drowned in technical data and stats that I don't care about? Do you talk over my head or do you talk down to me? Um, do you get lost in what I like to call the expert's curse, which is where you know too much about your own content and you forget what others, whoever your audience is, what they do or don't already know, what they do or don't care about, what they do or don't need to know in order to make the decision that, that you want them to make? Um, are you connecting with them? Do you use the vocabulary that they will like? Do you use a little humor to, to connect with them? Is it a place where humor is appropriate? And for that matter, are you using appropriate humor when deciding to do so? All mm -hmm. of those pieces will help to connect 
with your audience. Eye contact. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's sure. um, when you think part of what makes all of this relevant and and successful is a the alignment of three different communication channels all at the same time. Your words, your voice, and your body language, the verbal, the vocal, and the visual. So the words are the what you say. Think about your transcript, what your stories, your vocabulary, your data, your organization, et cetera. Um, The voice is the sound. So the tonality of your voice, the highs and the lows, how fast do you talk? Do you ever pause or do you ramble giant stream of consciousness, one long run on sentence with no breath and no period until you run out of stuff to say. Do you, are you audible? Do you mumble? How many times do you say, um, all of those are the part of the vocal. And then the visual is your, to your point, your body language, your eye contact, your fidgeting, your posture. I like the acronym PEGS, P-E-G-S. P is for posture, sitting or standing. E is for eye contact, eyebrows, your eyebrows speak volumes. Your G is for gestures. It could be your hands, could be your shoulders, could be your head motions. Um, when you talk, do you habitually just keep shaking your head back and forth or do you nod your head? Are you a bobblehead? Um, or do you have a couple of really deliberate, intentional nods saying, you need to agree with this. Mm. I do, and you should too. Uh, or is it just kind of uncertain the entire time? Your head movements say a very important message. Uh, and then S is for smile. Often we get so serious about what we're talking about, we forget to be enthusiastic. Uh, and otherwise, what are our facial expressions communicating often in spite of what we're trying to articulate? Eyebrows, like eyebrows mm-hmm. speak volumes. Oh, yes, they do. D- dig Absolutely. into that. Dig into that one if you will. Sure. So uh, number one, if you are, for, for example, I know that my thinking face, uh, is everybody listening just on audio podcast or are there are people listening, watching you on video as well? I just want to be well, clear. Well, this will be mostly audio, but we may okay. use some video clips. Sure. Got it. Okay. So then for those who are listening, I know that my thinking face is with my eyebrows kind of scrunched together, right? That, And some people will misinterpret that as me being angry or mm-hmm. upset or otherwise just unhappy or in disagreement. So a few years ago, I was teaching some graduate courses at the University of Pennsylvania, and I um, knew that that was my tendency. And I had invited a student to join me in office hours and because I knew she was having trouble with her research paper. So she comes, and again, we had a good relationship. There was no problem. I just was offering some support. She comes in, hands me her draft, sits down. I started to look at it, and I caught myself. And I said to her, just be, FYI, as I'm reading your paper, if you see my face kind of do this with my eyebrows, just know I'm not angry. I'm just concentrating. And she immediately slumped down in her chair with her, put her hand to her forehead and said, ah, oh, thank God. I was so scared. <laughs> and I thought I scared her because my eyebrows knitted together mm. at the bridge of my nose. That's all it took, but I scared her. So what else are you doing? Maybe you're talking to somebody and you're trying to listen objectively, but you don't realize you've cocked one eyebrow up and the other one's down, which immediately conveys skepticism, doubt, dubiousness. So, you know, what are your eyebrows saying? They do a lot. And frankly, whether your eyebrows are up or down, even if they can't see you, they can hear it because it changes the, the, the other muscles position in your head. It changes the velum. People can hear if your eyebrows are up or down and it changes the sound of your message. You know, there's a lot of overlapping conversations I have in this podcast, but this is the first time in six years we talked about the eyebrows 
doing the <laughs> doing the talking. So there's always a first. See, good. Um, so okay, so that's the way that we're communicating, and then finally, uh, the final one, which to me has to be probably the most challenging of the three for most people. Closing. Which is this, the final C, the close the, the final deal. Final C, yes. yes. And now let's clarify that that doesn't necessarily mean can you sell? Can you sign on the dotted line in exchange of money? Closing the deal simply means getting to yes, forming an agreement about whatever the next step is going to be, moving the needle forward. This might be one of a thousand conversations you have to have about this particular topic. But and whatever topic you're addressing for the moment, can we agree? on how we need to move forward. Maybe we're going to just agree that we need to take a break and we'll resume tomorrow when people aren't tired, after people have had lunch. Okay, but let's close that deal and agree on next steps. That's closing so, the deal. And you can't do that if you haven't done the first two. Right. So you already have to have the connection with the audience. You already Absolutely. have to be a, a an authority, uh, having command of the room. Yes. People have to believe what you're saying. Yes. And then you're saying closing doesn't necessarily mean close the contract. You have a new deal, a purchase order, whatever it might be. Correct. But it is at least moving forward with these people. Hey, we're going to have an ongoing relationship in some fashion. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. And it doesn't, it just means a simple agreement. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. Nothing like a uh, unsilenced phone. Terrible form, Laura. Sorry about that. But <laughs> that was silenced. The um, and everything that we're talking about today, Nate, is 100% as relevant in personal relationships and conversations as professional. I mean, not to do a plug, but in my book, Speaking to Influence, we cover all this stuff, and there are plenty of anecdotes with regard to that, that we're telling stories in conversations with my husband, with my with one of my sons, with neighbors, with other. So it's not just about boss, employee, client contractor, those kinds of things. Little conversations make make a huge difference. Well, and you also kind of just did it there where your phone goes off and you say, nice job, Laura, a real professional, whatever you just said. Having that self-deprecation too in life and in speeches and in business goes a long way. Like being able to kind of just, you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect, that kind of thing, I think probably creates a lot of trust with an audience. Uh, would you agree? think so and of course it's contextually dependent everything yeah. matters like this is this is a podcast and i have a podcast you have a podcast i certainly always want to make sure that i'm providing the best value from the host and the listener's time and of course mine as well and i'm you know give myself a little you know smack on the forehead going oh for heaven's sake she forgot to check and make sure that the phone was off before <laughs> doing this we all have those moments this sure. is not me on the debate stage vying for president of the United States where the phone goes off. Now, who knows how that could have played out. But nevertheless, I think it's more important in a podcast space to balance the authority. And look, I'm I'm here as your guest because there's value that you believe my expertise can bring to your audience. And I'm thrilled to be able to offer that. But I think it's also important to model not just the the best practices for for ideal but to show that we're all human. It's not about sanitization. I'm not trying to pretend I'm not human, that I never make mistakes. It's That's why I don't sanitize my own podcast. If I have ums in there, there's a, I, I want to change the direction of a conversation or uh, half the time, not half the time perhaps, but there's plenty of times where I want to respond to a story a guest tells. And I realize that four sentences are all trying to come out of my mouth at once. And I'll just say, you know what? 
let me try that again and only let one thought come out first and then the rest can take their turn. And it's okay. We want it to be relatable, not just inspirational in what we share. Because if you're not relatable, it doesn't matter how amazing something seems to be if it, it doesn't seem like the other person can get there. When they right. realize you're human too, your credibility rises. And I think that's important. No doubt about it. So if somebody comes to you, they're a, a mid-level executive, maybe they're on the C-suite, uh, wherever they may be in their career, sure. and they say, Dr. Laura, please, I, I'm I'm finding myself, I'm, I'm running into the wall. I've gotten as high as I could possibly go. I want to be more influential. I want to have greater influence. They come to you and they start with you. How do you even know where to begin with somebody? Because I assume everyone has different issues when it comes to speaking. So do you have a do you have a process? And if so, take us through it at a high level. The most important question is to identify where people feel stuck. If it is a matter of uh, so I by example, one person I worked with was the uh, SVP of a company, senior vice president, publicly traded, and he wa wanted he was in line for the CFO role, for the chief financial officer role in a couple of years, part of succession planning, knowing that eventually the CFO would retire. And the board came to him and said, in no uncertain terms, look, when you talk, we don't understand you. So fix it. Or when the spot opens, we're going to find somebody else. Now, mm. that's a heck of an ultimatum. It's actually a gift because really it's well was. enough. Right. Yeah. There's there's no ambiguity. We're letting this person know what the stakes are. We'd like this person to be successful. He went right he... to Amazon.com, ordered speaking to influence, and reached out to me. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> Something along those lines. Something yes. along they found me and brought yes. me in to figure out what's the problem. Why does the board not connect with this person? They they may like him, they may know he's really smart, but if he's just brilliant financially, he belongs to stay in the SVP role, not get promoted to the CFO role. What's the gap? So my job was to come in and figure out where's the disconnect? Where is he not connecting with his audience so that they can understand him better and thus be able to close the deal? Uh, because it's when you're at that senior executive role, it's about your vision. Can you Do you have a vision? Can you get other people to understand and appreciate that vision and want to help you see it through? That's really what's mission critical, which may be very different from somebody else who maybe is a small business owner of some sort or a leader where they want to get a lot more publicity for their company. They want to build a reputation, not just as a technical expert in their industry, but as a go-to thought leader. They want to be on more conference stages. They want to be in the news. They want to be on more podcasts. So they have to come out of that shell and be more, uh, more relatable, more engaging, uh, more inspiring, better storytellers, more confident, able to connect with different audiences, not just people who work under them on the org chart. So it's a very different world to say, how can I go from being smart to being charismatic, mm. which is a really scary word for a lot of people. And it's not again, hey, look at me, look at me, but can you be smart and interesting to a wider range of audience? What does that look like? And can you even have fun with it? So someone came to me, uh, about six months ago, because that's what she realized she wanted. She was a, a director in a financial um, organization, and she knew she wanted to have a bigger range of influence inside and outside of the audience reputation, excuse me, of the company, uh, more of a, an 
of a go-to expert thought leader, but she was kind of an introvert, nervous, not much of a storyteller, didn't like public speaking. She could do it, but that was about it. And she wanted to get good at it. And after six months of working together, we were debriefing and she said, I can't believe not only do I feel like I'm actually good at this, but I love it. I never thought it could be fun. I love connecting with the audience. I love telling these stories. I love inspiring people and feeling that connection. I never knew I could have that connection with people. It's wow. actually fun. And that's, that's got to be incredible for you. Uh, that's got to be absolutely incredible to look at someone from six months earlier to where they are after working with you. It's probably like watching a completely different person. And that's got to be so rewarding. It's watching the light shine from within. I love that because it's something that they didn't even think was possible for themselves. They wanted to go from level one to level three, and we went to level 10. And they thought that even level five was the pinnacle for themselves and just seeing what's possible. No, that's awesome. And and they thought that they didn't like it. And they realized probably, no, it's not that I didn't like it. It's just that I didn't know I could be good at it. And now that I'm good at it, I like it. Isn't that funny how that works? It's it's both. It's that, yes, of course, we like the things that we're good at. So that gives us a great confidence boost. But it's also changing the the perspective and, and the thought about, well, what is public speaking really? It's not about just, well, can I go and, you know, is is everybody in the audience going to sit there and judge me? And what if I make a mistake? That's sen- That's egocentric public speaking. That's where you're thinking. It's all about me. Everybody's just here to judge me. No, if you're public speaking and that by that, I mean, anytime you're talking to someone other than yourself, you're public speaking. But if you're speaking to that audience, you believe that you have value that's important to them. You're tr- This is a, an act of generosity. You want to provide that value to make their lives better personally, professionally, or otherwise. And if you approach from that space of generosity that you want to give value to those people that they won't have if you don't share, mm. then that's a very different space. That is a freeing space. And people feel it when you're approaching from, please don't judge me versus from, let me give you this gift. Right. This is not a competition where you go on stage to be great at how good did I do it speaking? No. This is about giving value to everyone that's there to listen. Yes. It is that's a perfect. gift of generosity. That's perfect. Uh, but real quick, back to, before we get finished up here, back to the uh, senior vice president who yeah. was trying to become CFO. My yeah. first question is, did he make CFO? Yes. There you go. Okay. I knew you wouldn't have shared that story otherwise. Nope. But secondly, just some of the high level things again, what did you do to help him prepare and get ready for that position? There's a number of things. And it goes back always to that verbal, vocal, visual alignment piece, looking at the the content of what you say, which is the verbal and the delivery, which is the vocal and the visual. And how do you connect with the audience? Who's your audience? Remember those three C's. So to the audience is, in this case, the board. What is their objective? What impact do you want to have on them? It, at the end of your presentation, at the ends of those meetings, what yes do you want to achieve together? What is the deal that you want to close? Let's reverse engineer that. And say, if we want to get to that outcome, knowing who they are, knowing what their priorities are, knowing what their concerns are, knowing what their interests are, what information do I need to share with them and how to make sure that I lead them on that path toward that end goal? Not just do I get stuck in a big part of it was that he was stuck in the expert's curse. He was too bogged down in details 
too bogged down in spreadsheets, as opposed to telling the story behind the numbers, as opposed to showing how all of those numbers were were leading towards a vision for the future and what he perceived as the path to get there. And the ability to share that vision was part of the, the content, but also how he delivered it. So it could be little things like he just talked way too fast, blurred past. Nobody had time for their brains to process what he was saying. So even the little details, you could tell the best story on the planet. But if you're listening to this podcast at 2x speed, the chances that you're going to really absorb any of the nuggets that were there for you, you're going to miss it. Yeah. So if he's talking at 2x speed, for example, that's a big part of it. So sometimes it's the big things. How much data do you tell stories? Do you express a vision or just dig right into the weeds the entire time? And can you deliver it in a way that people can process and connect with what you're saying? So we had to work on both the content and the delivery. And then it was, oh, there he is. Yeah, that's the guy we want to put in charge. Mm, beautiful stuff. And what else is beautiful is uh, this TEDx talk you gave almost <laughs> 7 million views, Dr. Laura. Yes. That's yes. pretty impressive. Thank you. What were you saying that was so special on that video that's gotten that many views? Everything I just shared with you. Okay. All about those three C's, the command, connect, and close, and more importantly, how those verbal, vocal, and visual uh, channels need to be congruent, need to align, as opposed to when they don't, how you distract the audience, confuse the audience, and ultimately are not memorable or worse, are memorable in the worst way possible, and how to shift that. So, And there's stories along the way and some fun we have, but it is really helping people get clear on where that concept of words, voice, and body language has been mythologized. You may have heard people try to sound smart and throw around statistics like, well, you know, words are only 7% of communication or, well, you know, 55% of all communication is nonverbal. No, those are false. Those are real numbers that do come out of a real study. And I explained what those meant, but it's the truth about the alignment that is the most empowering part of it. And we do some myth busting in there. So I, I hope that everybody goes and watches the TED Talk, understands where the myths are. So when you hear somebody just try to drop stats and sound smart, you put them in their place and set the record straight because the truth is far more powerful. That's a great TED Talk. Everyone should check it out. Uh, speaking to influence the book, we have linked that here in the show notes, as mentioned earlier. Thank you. Your company, Vocal Impact Productions, uh, anywhere you want people to go find you, social media, web, other websites, et cetera. Yes, thank you. So, of course, Vocal Impact Productions is my main company's website. You can also check out speakingtoinfluence.com, which has information about both the book and my podcast. Would absolutely invite everyone. Of course, after you listen to Nate's episodes each week, then come and check out mine as well, <laughs> where we talk to business leaders about the role of communication as an essential leadership skill specifically. Uh, so, love to have you follow that. And feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, just Laura Sokol, I think I'm actually the only one. There aren't too many people who can say that there's only one of their names on LinkedIn. Um, and feel free to subscribe to the newsletter as well through my website. And we'll make sure we link uh, some of that up in the show notes, guys. Take a look at the links. Dr. Laura Sokola, if you want to learn how to be articulate, masterful with your words, charismatic, all those scary things for so many people, it doesn't have to be that scary, right, doctor? It's not. It's, it's fun once you get into it. 
It's what I what I tell people, especially for those who are concerned, well, are you going to teach me to act or are you going to teach? No, I couldn't teach you to act if my life depended on it. You want to see something ugly? Give me a Shakespeare script and say, do something with this. Right. Nobody's going to want that. Well, all I can do is teach you to take the truth, the expertise and the ideas in your brain, the passion in your heart and find your voice and be able to articulate your truth in a way that is authentic to you, but still gets through to them whoever they are, so that you get to that yes. That is my job. And that's what everything I offer, whether it's my TED Talk, my book, my podcast, is to help you find that truth and find that yes. Beautiful stuff. Uh, Thank you so much, doctor. Continued success to you. Great connecting with you. Thank you for the invitation, Nate. It was such a pleasure to be here.